Welcome to Breaking Free Authentically, the podcast where we explore what redefining relationships looks like through a sex-positive lens. Let's kick shame and guilt to the curb and really start living a sexy, authentic life. I'm passionate about normalizing out-of-the-box ways of designing relationships. There's nothing quite like finding your tribe and experiencing the freedom of being completely yourself without judgment. I'm your host, Kareen Bedard, your sex-positive relationship designer, and I'm here to guide you in creating the relationship you desire, whether that is a more open one or simply a more empowered one. Join me every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to enjoy the newest episode. Well, welcome to another episode of Breaking Free Authentically. And today I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about because it's something I'm really passionate about. So we're going to talk about the secret to having an empowered relationship. And I would guess that it's not what you think it is. Because everybody has their own views and their own ideas about what creates an empowered relationship or a good relationship. And when I say empowered relationship, I mean one in which you don't lose yourself, one in which you feel strong and can stand up for yourself and can communicate clearly and can be authentic because obviously authenticity is huge for me. That is so important And I think a lot of times we think that's just going to happen and don't realize that we play a huge impact on whether someone can be authentic around us or not. So I'm going to touch on that today. So I like to say that everybody says that communication is the key to having a good relationship, but I disagree. And I'll tell you why I disagree. I don't disagree that Um, communication is important at all. But I believe that you must establish other things before you can have good communication. Therefore, I think safety and connection in a relationship are actually more important than just communication because, well, without safety and connection, you just don't have communication. So you could have all the right words, know exactly what to say and how to say it. um, But if you don't feel safe in your relationship and if you don't feel connected to your partner it doesn't matter you're what you say is not going to come out right and you're going to be afraid to speak your truth you're going to be afraid to be who you are be authentic right so the name of the game is to break free to be authentic and to do it in an authentic way you know so this is so important to me um, to let you in on this little secret that I that I think is really important. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we are going to have a listen to what these things are. There's three main things that I'm going to talk about today. So hang on to your seats and... Stay tuned because we're going to come right back. Please visit our website at breakingfreeauthentically.com and subscribe to our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave a review on Podchaser by clicking the link at the top of the page. That would mean the world to me. Finally, I'd love to have you join our private Facebook community and oasis called Breaking Free to Be Authentically Me. 
All links will be in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Well, let's get into episode three, the secret to having an empowered relationship. So this is, like I said before, very close to my heart. And I think it's a little bit of a new take. Uh, Maybe not. I know a lot of people have heard me talk about this. um, And it's something that I think is is the key to so many, so many things. Uh, We're in a society where relationships do not tend to last very long. People aren't taught really how to make a relationship last or, you know, we're not taught the skills needed to have good relationships. And so part of breaking free authentically for me is, is like I said, in, I think the, the first episode, like I don't want to give a proverbial finger to society and say, you know, I'm going to do everything the opposite way. I don't think that that's necessary. I think it's important to open our minds and understand how we are as people, how trauma affects us and and why we do what we do and how it affects our relationships. At the end of the day, we operate how we've been taught and we can always learn new skills and we can always learn to be better at relationships, but it takes being aware of of ourselves and feeling like we're with our people and feeling safe and connected and all these things. So these are the things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about safety, connection, and novelty. So these three things I believe are the key to having an empowered relationship, and I'll explain why. So first of all, Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone and you just don't feel safe? Like you feel like you can't, or with a friend even, right? Like you can't say what you mean because you're afraid to disappoint them or you're afraid that they're going to misunderstand you or they're going to take it personally or all these things. That just doesn't feel good. And so we tend to hold back what we say because we don't know how they're going to take it. Some of that is ours. Some of that is theirs. But recognizing our part in that makes a huge difference. Uh, huge difference. So the other thing that we're going to talk about is connection. And so communication can't happen without safety and connection. They just really can't. And a relationship doesn't feel empowered if you don't have novelty to keep it exciting and new and fresh and energized. So the, these are like three pieces of a puzzle that are really super important to make our relationships strong and flow well. So let's talk about um, safety. So like when was when was a time in your life that you felt really safe with someone. And think about how you felt in your body. Did you feel like you could share vulnerable parts of yourself with them and be honest and not fear judgment? Think about your people, your friendship group. You know, why do you like to hang around them? Why do we gravitate to certain people more than other people? And I think, you know, if we're willing to listen to our bodies, our bodies tell us when we feel safe, right? We feel like we can be ourselves. And so some of the things that um, 
are really important in a relationship is to feel seen and heard. And if you don't feel seen and heard by the people that you love, you're not going to speak up, right? Because you're going to feel like it doesn't really matter what you say. You're going to be misunderstood. So I think that that's a really important thing to remember. How do you create safety for your partner and how do they create safety for you? It's important to understand that you need to feel safe, right? Nobody can do that for you. Often the more um, the more connected you are, the more you can understand their needs and, and how to make them feel safe. But I want to talk about the safety aspect first and how to create safety and how to hold space for someone. So some of the tips for creating safety in a relationship is you know, validating your partner's feelings and experience. How many times do we just skip forward and and just give them advice? Or we, it's like we didn't even hear what their feelings were about something. And we're just trying to say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Or don't worry. Or why don't you just quit your job? (laughs) And that's not what we need. We need to feel validated. So when we share something with a partner, when a partner shares something with us, it's super important that we validate that partner's experience or feelings and don't filter it through our own lens. They're telling us their experience. We validate that first and that makes someone feel safe. Don't just jump to the fix. That's not what people feel safe with. They'll stop telling you things if you just have a quick fix. Um, The other thing is not judging them for their thoughts, fears, and feelings. And that goes right along with validating. But um, when you validate, you're also not really judging them. So if you can take away judgment for someone's feelings or their their experience, then you're able to hold space and and create safety for them. Um, That's how you're going to get them to share openly is if you let them share without criticism. So that's holding space, right? Active listening, really being present to what they're saying and being able to retell or rephrase what you think that you heard rather than, you know, just jump to what you think they should do or what the, what you're hearing. Like repeat what it is that you heard them say without your bias in it. It's really, really important. And a lot of people miss this step, but these things make us feel safe. So again, it's not exactly the words that we use. It's, it's this concept of creating safety. And I think that's sometimes easier than to have the whole script of words that you might need. And when we get to the other part, connection, I think we'll understand how to make these things work within the different types of relationships and and where their connection points are. So I think that's important. Um, Offering them comfort is something that's super important. Um, Offering them comfort in a way that speaks love to them, even when it isn't your natural way of showing love. And we'll talk about that later, like it's super important that you understand how they are and what it is that that speaks love to them. I was listening to, um, I think it's Jay Shetty this week. 
he had a, a video and his wife was talking about being a brat. And she said, I don't understand how when I'm being a brat and asking you to do things that obviously could be annoying, why you still do them. Like, what is it that makes you still do that? And I was like, oh, I wonder what he's going to say to that. And he's like, yeah, sometimes my first thought is, oh, she's such a brat. Like, she's right there by the light switch, but she's asking me to turn it off. And then he said something so, so cool. And and I think this is so important. He's like, well, I do it because if you're asking for that, that's how you're asking to be loved. And it's a way that I can show you love. Because if you're right there to turn the light switch off, you're not, you're not, I'm not assuming that you're being difficult or you're just trying to make my life hard. It's you asking for something that you need. And it's a little thing that I can do to make you feel loved. And in that moment, that's what I choose to do. And I just thought that was so beautiful that he was so aware that he was able to pick up on that instead of just assuming that, you know, she's just asking me to do all these petty things or whatever. But to understand that that was something she was asking for because the act of him responding to that, responding to a bid, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but we make bids to our partners on a regular basis. And if our partners pick up on these bids and respond to these bids, it strengthens the relationship and we feel safer. But if our partner continually dismisses our bids or just ignores them, pretends like they didn't happen or make us feel bad for asking those things, then we'll stop asking. And that creates a disconnection in itself. Encouraging them. That's another way that we can create safety. If someone is sharing something with you and it's they're, they're struggling or whatever, it's important to encourage them, you know, so that they feel safe to keep sharing and that sometimes their thoughts, their own things are bringing them down. But encouragement goes a really long way to make someone feel safe and loved. Believing in them, having a team mentality instead of a I am me, you are you, you're responsible for you, um, I'm responsible for me. At the end of the day, we are responsible for our own, how we handle things and, and our emotions and things like that. But sometimes we need help and we want help from those that we love. And the more safety we create with each other, we can, you know, co-regulate or be interdependent rather than independent. And interdependence is so healthy and makes you feel very safe and connected to your partner because it is a coming together and realizing that they're not relying on me for their well-being, but they're choosing to come to me to share and be vulnerable because they feel safe and because we bring something to each other. We bring something to the table that brings us close. And that's really important. Being willing to be vulnerable with yourself and in turn with your partner is one of those ways to be interdependent, right? Like if you're never willing to be vulnerable yourself, your partner's going to stop being vulnerable if they are, or they're never going to start being vulnerable. We have to be able to show a bit of vulnerability. Now, on the other hand, if you are never feeling safe to show vulnerability, then that vulnerability is going to end, isn't it? I don't want to be vulnerable with someone that doesn't 
respect that vulnerability and honor it and care for it and realize that vulnerability is a gift that you give someone because that means you trust them. That means you feel safe with them. And it's not just something to be taken lightly. So don't minimize someone's vulnerability. Be there, sit with it, hold a space for that vulnerability. Another thing is not taking something personally. So when someone's sharing their vulnerable feelings or experience about something, if you right away take it personally, that's going to, again, not validate their feelings. You're not listening to them. You're just letting that trigger you. And you, we cannot assume that someone is, we can't create meaning. We're meaning makers. So we tend to create meaning out of what people say, but we need to get out of that habit and hear it for what it is. And then if we feel triggered by that, if we're afraid that it might be something personal, we can ask for clarification, but never assume that it's personal. Never assume that it's malicious and be kind towards each other. And that's going to go a really long way. Ask a lot of questions. Ask questions of your partner to get clarity because, again, you could make meaning but it could be the wrong meaning if you're not asking questions to clarify or if you're not repeating back what you hear. It's so important to make sure that you're understanding. And being okay with not agreeing about things is another piece that's so important. You can be okay about not agreeing while still valuing their perspective. And this is where adulting reaches its its peak. It's so important. Like if we are honoring that space, if we're honoring someone's experience, someone's opinion, even when we don't agree, we are respecting them as a person. They're their own person. They don't have to be a, a, an exact replica of you in order for you to get along. And one of the things growing up in a very fundamentalist Christian household, I had the truth. I knew everything, right? I know that I know that I know. And I felt like I could say with certainty what people needed or what they should be thinking or all these things. I was told how to think my whole life, right? So why would I, why would I, allow you to have your own thoughts when they're wrong. And that's not a way to create safety with people. Like when you're a no, who wants to talk to a know-it-all? Who wants to share their innermost thoughts with a know-it-all, someone who's going to just correct everything they say or do? That just doesn't build safety. So be aware that, you know, we can have different opinions. We don't have, we can agree to disagree and still be completely connected and feel safe. So it's super, super important to be able to create safety. So that's just some of the things um, on how to create safety. All right, so let's talk about connection, okay? Connection. Again, connection can, can be in so many ways. Um, it's really the foundation to any relationship, right? When we connect with someone, we're drawn to them. We want to be in their space. We enjoy being with them. And we should feel safe and relaxed in our bodies. If you don't feel safe 
in your body around someone, that should be a red flag. So a lot of times we're like, oh my gosh, he's the one for me because I'm so giddy and I've got butterflies in my stomach and I'm just like, ah, I have, you know, I can barely look at him. I can't keep eye contact and oh my gosh, oh, he's so hot. Da, 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 da. You know, all these things that go through us. And we're taught that that infatuation feeling is the determination of chemistry or, or how well we connect with someone. But sometimes this like, excitement is actually a trauma response, which I know that's hard to understand, but let's say you don't feel good in yourself and you don't feel like like you're very worthy. To have someone there that maybe is giving you attention, um, an attention in a way that is not you, is very exciting and it can make you feel like that person completes you or that person is, you know, all the things that you aren't and it will help, you know, make you feel this new excitement and energy, which, which can be okay, but check the other one, you know, like how do you feel in your body around them? Do you also feel calm? Do you feel relaxed, like safe? Do you feel safe? And I think that if I could go back and tell my 19-year-old self something, it would be, how do you feel in your body around people? Because in high school, I was always chasing being liked by people and getting attention because I didn't know if I was worthy. And those who didn't give me good attention or that I didn't connect with on an energetic level, that I didn't feel calm around... I was always seeking to like earn their their approval in some way. But instead, if I understood that my body was telling me that they're not my people necessarily and that I don't have to like everyone, I don't have to be mean to other people. I don't have to bring drama in and get other people to not like them too. It doesn't matter if everybody likes me. I have my people, and if I could just hone in on the people who I really felt safe around, I would have had a much better, healthier high school experience, and I think a lot more teenagers and people in their dating lives would would recognize that, hey, that person is, is great, but they're not for me because I can't be authentic with myself. I I feel like I have to prove something. I feel like there's this nervous energy that I have to be something I'm not. And I think that this is really key. So check your energy. Check how someone receives you. You know, there's there's three kinds of ways that people receive your energy and I'll probably do a podcast on this at some point. Um but you know, there's people that suck your energy and you might call them energy vampires and you always feel drained around them. Um, They want something from you. There's always something wrong. They're the victim, whatever. And you just feel like at the end, you know, like when you spend time with them, you don't feel energetically fulfilled because they're not giving you any energy. There's, it's not reciprocated, right? They're just taking your good energy and we often just give it because that's the kind thing to do, quote unquote. But if we think about another version, um, there's people who are more avoidant. They don't want our energy, like we're too much for them. That's the feeling that you get, or that's even what you've been told. Like I was told 
for the majority of my life that um, I was too much, you know. And if I would have understood that that person or those people are not ready for my energy, they're not a good match because what happens is I would give my energy they wouldn't receive it because they weren't ready to receive it. It felt overwhelming to them. So my energy went around them. And then I've lost energy because I'm giving it away. And then they're not giving me any energy back. So they're not taking it from me. I'm giving it and they're not receiving. Therefore, their cup isn't now overflowing with extra energy that they can give back. So that also feels very depleting, right? So that's not a good reciprocation either. So the next one is where you're both, someone is ready to receive your energy and you receive theirs back and it's just a back and forth and it just feels so easy to just give energy, take energy. You don't feel depleted when you leave your people. You don't feel depleted because they've given you as much energy as you've given them. And of course, sometimes it's gonna be more balanced than other times. Um, but be aware of that dynamic. If the majority of the time they're giving back energy as much as you're giving, that is a nice green flag of connection. Those are your people. And it's really important that your partner is one of those people that they might ha not have the same kind of energy, but they're reciprocating an even amount of energy. And that is important. It might look different, but you're not left completely empty and drained of your energy when you leave their presence. So think about that, you know. Um, some people make us feel uneasy and that's not necessarily your people. It's okay to walk away. It's okay to not go out of your way to make sure that they accept you. If you think about it, a lot of us have grown up people pleasers, you know, taught that, especially as women, especially as religious women who were taught submission, right? Like, I don't really have rights to things like I'm going to please and I'm going to make sure that, you know, I turn the other cheek and that I give myself to people because that's the right thing to do. That's the kind thing to do. So just be aware of that. That is one kind of connection, okay? So there's many different types of connections. And we need to feel connected to people in order to thrive in relationship. The second way that we have connection is in the way that we feel and show love. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Chapman, but he wrote a book many years ago called The Five Love Languages. And he says that we show and receive love in different ways, and it's important to know and be able to have an understanding of how each of us feels love and shows love. And so there's five different love languages, and the first one would be words of affirmation. So that's like praising people and encouraging them and telling them that they're great or what you see about them and just, you know, affirmation, just making them feel like a hero or or that they're just a wonderful person. And some people thrive on that, hearing that. I know that's one of my high love languages, is to just hear wonderful things about myself. It just makes my day. I feel very loved by that. Some people, um, physical touch is a huge one. And that's not sexual physical touch. That is just people that are cuddly or that feel human touch is calming to them. If you know, for me, if 
if my boyfriend comes up to me and just puts his arms around me, I just feel so loved and safe. And it's such a beautiful thing. And his love language is also physical touch. So it's really nice because he does that just instinctively and it, it speaks to both of us equally. And um, that just makes it really, really nice. Another love language is quality time. So quality time is, uh, it's the kind of time that you spend with someone. So giving your attention to someone, being with them, doing activities with them. And the, the thing is with, with um, quality time, it might look different for different people. And so quality time also has to be defined, which I didn't realize till like years into my marriage. Um, oh, that's why we just don't have the same way that we see quality time. So that's super important. Another one is acts of service. So doing things for people, you know, like uh, bringing them a cup of tea or bringing them slippers um, when they get home at the end of the day uh, or when they get home, um, you know, cleaning up for them or bringing them something that you know that they need or taking something off of their plate that, you know, is important to them and, and it's it would just make their, their life easier. They feel a lot of love from those things um, because they tend to be the ones who see everything that needs to be done. And they tend to do things for people and not necessarily be present as much. They're the doers. They're the list checkers. Those are people that often are acts of service people. And so a lot of women say, you know, my sex life would be much improved if my husband did the dishes. That would be a woman that has acts of service as her love language. For me, you could do the dishes every night. That's not going to make me feel warm and fuzzy. But giving me a hug from behind while I'm doing dishes or telling me that I'm amazing um, while I'm doing those things, I'm going to keep doing those and I'm going to show love towards you because that those things make me feel loved. But if all you do is do the dishes and clean up and all these things but never pay attention to me or spend time with me or touch me or tell me wonderful things, I'm not going to feel loved. That's how I am, right? So it's important to understand that about our our partners. And then the last love language is gifts. So, I mean, some kids, you'll notice like some kids, you can come home from a trip and give them a pencil and they'll think that that is the best thing. They're so happy. Some kids, you'll give them, you know, some big gift and they're like, oh, thanks. Some of those kids would rather have a hug than, than this souvenir that you've gotten. But some kids that really cherish gifts or adults that appreciate gifts, they want a thought out gift, something that they've mentioned and you remembered. You've remembered that they love vanilla scented candles and you saw a vanilla scented candle in a store. It wasn't even expensive, but you saw it and you thought of them and you're like, oh, my person would love this. I'm going to get it for them. And you come home and maybe you wrap it nice or maybe you just surprise them. Um, and you give them this gift and they just feel so loved and blessed. And that just means the world to them. That's not my love language. You know, I, I always said, I'd rather get money and then I can just pick what I want. Um, of course, sometimes a gift is is great, but like it's not going to be the same as words of affirmation or physical touch for me. So know your love language and know the people. And, you know, these are some of the things that we do talk about in 
I talk about with my my clients and coaching is figuring out like what is your love language and how does it affect you and how does it affect your relationship? It's important to be clear. So back to like physical touch, if you both feel loved by being pulled into a hug, it's much easier to feel connected, special and safe when you have difficult things to talk about. So you know that, okay, so that's a love language. That's a way that we feel connected. So now that can be used to help create safety as well. So connection and safety can kind of go hand in hand. But if your partner gets squeamish about being touched and you thrive with touch, you'll find that a source of comfort for you happens to be the thing that they draw away from, often creating anxiety. It's not that they don't love you, but it will often feel like you are not loved and therefore it's hard to feel connected. So this is why it's so important to know what their language is. You might not have all the same love languages, which is rarely the case. You rarely have the same love languages. However, there must be a mutual effort to understand, value, and speak each other's love languages, or there will be a huge gap in the feelings of connection with which in turn then can cause many communication errors and assumptions. This is where you start to take things personally. I truly believe that the strongest relationships that I've noticed, if I look around at the my friends who have the best relationships and I look at the, they usually have at least one love language in common or very close, like their second ones are the same, or it might not be their primary one, but there is one that lines up and you can kind of meet at that place. Like I said, it might not be their primary love language, but they need to have something where they can speak the same language. Because if you're always speaking a foreign language, it's going to be really hard to make that sort of natural unless you're really willing to step outside your comfort zone and learn. And the thing is, it can't be just one person working really hard to speak someone else's love language. It has to be reciprocal. This energy thing, there's no reciprocation. There's just not a flow of energy you feel disconnected, and you won't feel safe, okay? So this is really important stuff. So another thing of connection is to have similar interests. What are your interests? What is it that you do for fun? Do you like to go bowling or go to sporting events? Maybe you're both foodies and you love to try new things um, together, new foods, exciting things. Maybe you both have a sense of humor, like a, a similar sense of humor, and you like, you know, the same comedians or just that kind of thing. Um, Can you have fun together? Do you have anything in common as far as interests go? Because love languages is, is one thing, but what about your interests? Like what brought you together? What are those things that you enjoyed, right? It's important that you have some things. You can't just get together with someone that you're just in awe of and you have nothing in common with and no love languages that infatuation is going to fizzle out pretty fast because there's no way to keep a connection. You've got to really have some common ground there, you know, something where you really connect on an energetic level through activity, love languages, um, things like that. The other thing is um, some of these things of connection, right? So like food might be connecting to you, activities, cuddling, sex discussions, sports, traveling, interests. Find what it is that your connections are based around. The other thing that I like to talk about is attachment styles. And attachment theory is more new. It's not something 
it's not been around nearly as long as love languages, not in the, the fabric of, of society, I'm going to say. Uh, it's not something that's been well known. It's more, it's newer research. Uh, the Gottman Institute talks a lot about attachment styles and how to manage that. So there's, there's four basic attachment styles, and I'm not going to go into it too much. But of course, the one that we want to strive for is secure attachment. And that's where you feel secure around people. People are trustworthy and you trust yourself. Okay. So you feel good because you're not dependent on other people to feel worthy or to feel loved. Okay. So that's a nice secure. And usually you've had like love from both parents that was consistent. You were able to express your feelings. You feel loved um, by your love language and you felt safe growing up. And so there's no major attachment trauma that's happened to you. And so you're able to love appropriately and not take things personally and not make, you know, meaning that isn't true. Um, and so very rarely is someone securely attached without any work because most of us didn't have perfect childhoods and that's okay. The good news is that we can all work towards secure attachment um, and that's the goal. And so just because you didn't have the perfect childhood doesn't mean that you can't be securely attached. But you might notice that, hmm, I'm not securely attached. I'm actually pretty preoccupied with how people think about me. I get pretty anxious. If I don't hear from my partner soon after I text them, I start to worry that they don't love me or they don't care or I think the worst or if they don't show me love in the way I don't, I assume naturally it's me that's not lovable rather than assume, oh, well, maybe they're just really tired and they're not able to see me right now because they just have nothing to give. You know, we have trouble giving them that secure benefit of the doubt. We have trouble seeing other things if we're more anxiously attached. Another one is dismissive avoidant. You tend to dismiss, not trust others. You trust yourself. So you don't trust others. You trust yourself and yourself is the only person you can really trust. So it's not safe. You've been taught it's not safe to be vulnerable because your vulnerability was either judged or criticized or uh, you were told that you couldn't think that or you couldn't be like that or you couldn't say that. Um, or if you physical touch is something that was important to you, you were taught that, you know, maybe as a boy, it's weak to hug and it's weak to cry or it's weak to this or that. And so you will have not been validated for certain emotions and therefore you've shut those down going, okay, people aren't safe. They actually don't accept me as I am. And so therefore I'm going to make myself small and I'm going to avoid conflict. I'm just going to avoid anything that makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm going to walk away and I'm just going to be self-sufficient because really the only person I can trust is myself. The interesting thing is that anxious people often get together with dismissive avoidance because the anxious person is going to do a lot of the work coming towards the avoidant person so they don't have to get out of themselves and really do a lot of work. They really can do minimal work and the, the anxious person is going to just shower them with all the things that they love and appreciate. The thing is, as we go down the road, the avoidant person not reaching in and being vulnerable back and, and doing the things that make the anxious person feel safe 
will make the anxious person even more anxious. And the more anxious that person gets, the more that they get clingy and needy to the avoidant and the more that the avoidant will dismiss them and move farther away. So you can see that it's a perfect recipe when you come together because it meets both of their needs at first because the the people pleaser has someone to please and the avoidant doesn't have to engage a whole lot to be loved. But that's not great long distance or over time, right? It really starts to one person will feel, usually the anxious person will feel completely depleted because they just don't feel loved. The dismissive avoidant will feel like their space is being invaded or their energy is being invaded or that you're too much. It's like, whoa, I don't want to be responsible for your mood. I don't want to be responsible for you being happy. And they just feel inadequate on a regular basis because they can never make you happy enough because you're always preoccupied with how they're responding to create your happiness. So keep that in mind. It's often a very common dynamic, which is a a pattern. So maybe that's a pattern that you've been in. Then you've got the fearful avoidant. So the fearful avoidant says, you're not okay and I'm not okay. The anxious person says, I'm not okay, but you're okay. So I'm going to trust you to fill my needs because I'm not enough. Okay, so you see how that dynamic is? And that dismissive avoidance says, I'm okay, but you're not okay. So the anxious person is attracted to the confidence of the the dismissive avoidant because you're like, oh, they're so strong and they believe in themselves and they're self-sufficient and all these things. It's very attractive. And then the anxious person goes to them for their safety. And usually they're, they're much more like emotionally steady. And then we've got, like I said, the fearful avoidant. So they don't trust themselves and they don't trust other people. So that's often called a disorganized attachment style. And you could see why. They sometimes had what they needed from their parents and sometimes they didn't. It was very irregular. They couldn't trust it. And so they start to be very vigilant in their surroundings and they create their own things. They might be manipulative um, because they want to trust, but then that trust is very scary and then they want to avoid because they they pull away because they're scared. Um, They're scared that they're not enough, right? They don't have that confidence of being okay with themselves. You'll find a lot of narcissists actually fall in this category because they need to feel in control and how they feel in control is controlling other people. Often the anxious uh, person will kind of cater to their needs or whatever, but then they get to be too much. And then, but the, but the, the beauty of it is there's an anxious part to the fearful avoidant. And so sometimes they'll come back to that anxious person and they'll just be like, oh, they'll shower them with love. Love bombing is a, a lot of narcissists do, right? They'll love bomb them, tell them that they're amazing and that they, they, and that anxious person feels so safe and loved in that scenario. And then all of a sudden the anxious or the fearful avoidant just backs up and is like, whoa, this is too much. Uh, this can't be real. I can't trust this. They're going to hurt me. I need to back off. And so there's a lot of back and forth. And then they do mean things to almost push people away to prove that they're not enough. And it's just this push and pull. And it's very disorganized. It's very unsettling. And it's very unsafe feeling to the person 
that they're with. Um, and it's unsafe to them too. Like they just don't know how to be secure. So it can be learned, but there's different strategies. So these are some of the basic things, you know, that form connection and, and things like that. In conclusion to those two things, creating safety and connection really starts with you, right? We need to be connected to ourselves first in order to feel secure with someone else. We can't be dependent on someone else fulfilling our desires and needs. That has to come from deep within at some point. A securely attached person loves who they are and they feel comfortable in their own skin and they trust other people. They choose to trust other people and don't just run away at the fear. They, you know, they see the good in people, but not so much that they just depend on them for everything, right? So there's there's this really good balance that needs to happen. And it starts with self-love. It really, really does. Embracing who you are. Inner child work is another thing that helps with safety and connection. So when you you know, figure out like what that inner child didn't get, you're going to be able to comfort that inner child. And that's a lot of things. And then the other thing is boundary setting. And I'm going to do a whole podcast on boundaries because it's such a big topic. And it was it's so misunderstood by a lot of people, including myself. Totally misunderstood it for so many years. Being able to set healthy boundaries protects you and and helps you avoid resentment and things like that. Okay, so I know you're thinking, okay, Karine, you said there was three things. What's the third thing? That third thing is novelty. Now, why is novelty important? I mean, does novelty make you feel safe? Does it help you communicate? I'll have you think about that for a minute. What is novelty, right? And how does it play a part in creating empowered relationships. Well, we're wired for novelty. You know, we're wired for seeking out new things, most of us, and and excitement. And, you know, we have hormones in our body, like dopamine, that create excitement and make us enjoy things and want to do things and help us focus and help us be present. And when we don't have any novelty in our lives and we get just stagnant and bored, we just kind of lose energy in life. And that means we also lose energy in relationships if we don't have a way to keep novelty alive. So what are some ways that we can do this? Why would I include this? Life can be hard sometimes, right? It's easy to get in a rut and we may forget to create new experiences because adulting can be exhausting, let's be honest, right? Being a parent can suck any extra energy we may have at times. Novelty is why you grew together in the first place, right? Like when when you're with someone in the beginning, you're learning new things about them, you're experiencing new things together, you're figuring out what your partner likes and doesn't like, you're going out of your way to make them feel special, But now you've learned those things, right? If you've been together for a while, you've learned those things. There's not a lot of exciting new things to figure out about someone after you've been together for a while. And our brains are programmed to get comfortable. We like comfort. We seek ease, which in itself is not a terrible thing, right? But it's easy to stay in our comfort zones and start to take each other for granted. It's so important to infuse a relationship with novelty at times. It's 
exciting for the both of you to discover new things together. Trying a new restaurant or going on a little getaway to reconnect and build intimacy without the kids, without the kids, because you need to reconnect together. You need to build new experiences and new things, not just talk about the kids. It has to be something between the two of you. It builds intimacy. Trying something new in the bedroom or some other things that you can do, right? It's easy to to get frustrated about not having a sexual spark anymore. And a lot of people struggle with that. And you probably used to have it in the beginning and then maybe you had kids and you're like, what happened? Well, you had kids. And then we stop being intentional sometimes about the novelty and keeping things alive because it's a lot of work. You know, you just look forward to like crawling into bed at night and to sleep. Eroticism and comfort can't exist at the same time. So Esther Perel is one of my favorites. I absolutely love her. But she says that you cannot have erotic sex and complete comfort at the same time. The two do not, comfort does not breed eroticism and eroticism isn't necessarily the the comfort. Like if you're just sitting on the couch at night watching your show, that's comfortable. And that's like what you need. It's you're, you're tired. You just want to rest. But eroticism doesn't live there. And sometimes you have to detach from that space. You know, you have to put yourself in a different situation, look at your partner from afar and be a little energized in a way that strikes up something new. And that will keep things alive. We have to be intentional about creating space for each other to be our own person. If we're doing everything together all the time, we start to lose who we are because we're probably not the same, right? Do you have a passion that lights you up? Do you support each other's individuality? Creating space sometimes actually looks like creating healthy space in order to create a little longing and desire between you. You know, we don't think of that. It adds a little mystery and fun, and it gives you new things to talk about. It makes you appreciate your partner in a different light, and it makes you want to experience new things together. Novelty is a conscious effort. Sure, it's easier to just sit on the couch, right? But eroticism often dies where there's only comfort. And we want so much from our relationships now. We want them to be everything, but we don't understand what it takes to have it all. We can have it all. It just means that you get to be intentional. And that requires some thinking. It, like I said, intentionality. You have to put intention and, and focus into your life, into your day, into your relationship, where it's not going to stay connected or feel safe. So that's one of the things that I help couples with, you know, is just to incorporate basic things in their relationship and inspire them to think out of the box and find new ways to find eroticism in their life. So this is part of what I like to talk about and why I like to talk about other relationship styles and just monogamy because some people aren't built for monogamy. Like that's not energizing enough for them. Maybe they have more love to give than that. Maybe they have a huge desire to connect with people on a regular basis, but their partner prefers to just stay at home and, and, and not do as much, right? And that can create just a longing of connection but if you start to incorporate things that are exciting to both of you, then you'll start to expand who you are. 
when we sort of change the rules of what's expected in us in relationships, we actually start to get to design what it is that works for us. And I've talked about that a lot. And as an elite relationship designer, designing your relationship is so important. You are two individuals and no two individuals are the same. So if you buy into this notion that, you know, marriage is forever and that's all there is, you might be fine. But not everybody fits into that model and realizing that there are other models to choose and other styles of relationship can be so empowering. And so I want to help you step out of the box and discover other designs that might be empowering to you as a couple. You know, maybe you have an amazing sex life and you just want to experience more and you're curious about other things. Well, there's so many fun things that you can do together. So I will leave that for another podcast, but just think about these things. Safety, connection, novelty. Do you have those things in your relationship? And if not, how are you going to get those things? If you would like to book a complimentary discovery call with me to see if there's ways that we can make this relationship that you have more empowered through these things, we can absolutely do that. It is so much fun for me to work with people and just help them to get the most out of their relationships and live authentically at the same time with honesty and compassion and love for each other, just on such a deep, rich level. There's nothing like it. So I invite you to think about these things. Reach out to me. I want to hear from you. I want to hear how you're enjoying the podcast. And I definitely want to have you come back next week. So next week, I'm not 100% sure what the topic will be next week. So you're going to have to stay tuned um, to find out what it is. But I hope you have an amazing day. And remember that when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. So have a great day. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Corrine Bedard Coaching, and you can visit my website at CorrineBedard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a like and share it with your friends. I'd be so grateful if you could help by giving us a five-star review on Podchaser or iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list to be kept up to date about upcoming episodes and exciting news. Just visit our website at BreakingFreeAuthentically.com and scroll down to subscribe. You can also email me anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Send your messages and questions to kareen at kareenbedard.com. Are you a part of my Facebook community yet? Join us in Breaking Free Authentically. It's where you will find this sex-positive relationship community. I'd be thrilled to have you be a part of this community with me. All the links will be in the show notes, so don't forget to check it out. Remember... When it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Have a great week.